Section 27 of The Underground Railroad, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Underground Railroad, Part 5, by William Still. Section 27. Portraits and Sketches. Charles D. Cleveland, Part 1. Mr. Still has asked me to record the part that my father bore in the anti-slavery enterprise, as it began and grew in this city. I comply, because the history of that struggle would be very incomplete, if from it were omitted the peculiar work which my father's position here shaped for him. Yet I can only indicate his work, not portray it, tell some of its elements, and then leave them to the moral sympathies of the reader to upbuild. For, first, his labor for the love of man was evenly distributed through the mold and movements of his entire life, and from a perpetual current of nourishing blood. One cannot name those particular atoms that are busiest or richest to sustain vitality. And further, if I could hear his voice, it would forbid any detailed account of what he accomplished and endured. It was all done unobtrusively in his life, bravely, defiantly, in regard of the evil to be met and mastered, but as unconsciously in regard of himself as every conviction works when it is as broad as the entire spiritual life of a man, and has his entire spiritual force to give it expression. I know, therefore, that while I should be permitted to mention so much of his service as the history of the conflict might demand, I should be forbidden all tale of sacrifice and labor that mere personal narrative would include. And I ask now only this, what peculiar influence did he exert for the furtherance of the cause, which so largely absorbed his labor and life? Did he contribute anything to what stamped with the signature of so clear an individuality that no other man could have contributed quite the same? To this I maintain an affirmative answer, and in witness of its truth I sketch the general course of his life, that through it we may find those elements of his character which intuitively ranged him on the side of the slave. When my father came to Philadelphia in 1834, his sentiments in regard to slavery were those held generally in the North, an easy-going wish to avoid direct issue with the South, on a question supposed to be peculiarly theirs. But the winds of heaven owned to no decorous limit in Mason and Dixon's line, and there were larger winds blowing than these winds rising in the vast laboratories of the general human heart, and destined to sweep into all the vast spaces of human want and woe. The South was finding, through her blacks' perpetual defiance of torture and death for freedom, that there was perhaps something, even in a negro, which most vexatiously refused to be counted in with the figures of the auctioneer's bill of sale. And now the North's lesson was coming to her that the soul of a century civilization was still less purchasable than the soul of a slave. A growing feeling of humanity was stirring through the northern states. It was not the work, I think, 
of any man or body of men it was rather itself a creative force and made men and bodies of men the results of its awakening influence to such a power my father's nature was quickly responsive both his head and his heart recognized the terrible wrongs of the enslaved and the urgency with which they pressed for remedy but where was the means from the first he felt that the movement which brought freedom and slavery fairly into the field and squarely against each other through unnecessary obstacles in its own way by the violence with which it was begun and prosecuted if he were to work at all in the cause he determined to work within the limits of recognized law the colonization society held out a good hope at least he could see no other as close to the true but closer to the feasible and after connecting himself with it he seems to have been content for a while on the score of political matters and to have devoted himself to what he had adopted as his chief purpose in life this was enlarging the sphere of female education and giving it a more vigorous tone to this he tasked all his abilities his convictions on the subject were very earnest his strength of character sufficient to bear them out so that in a short time he was able to establish his school so firmly in the respect of this community that for twenty-five years all the odium that his activity in the anti-slavery cause drew upon him did not for a moment abate the public confidence accorded to his professional power it was in eighteen thirty six in one of his vacations that his mind was violently turned inwards to re-examine his status upon the anti-slavery question he happened to be visiting his old college friend salmon p chase at cincinnati and fortunately for the spiritual life of both men it was at the time of the terrible riots that broke up the press of john g burney both being known as already favoring the cause of the slave they stood in much peril for several days but when the dark time was past the clearness that defined their sentiments was seen to be worth all the personal danger that had bought it self-delusion on the subject was no longer possible the deductions from the facts were as plain as the facts themselves the two friends took counsel together and adopted the policy from which thenceforward neither ever swerved a great cloud was rolled from their eyes and all this turmoil of riot they saw on the one side indeed a love of man great in its devotion but on the other a moral deadness in the north so profound and determined that it threatened thus brutally any voice that would disturb it their duty then was evident to fling all the forces of their lives and by all social and political means right against this inertness and shatter it if they could to mr chase the course of things gave the larger political work to my father the larger social his diary records how amazed he was when he returned to philadelphia at his former blindness and how thankful to the spirit of love that had touched and cleansed his eyes that he might see god's image erect he knew now that his lot had been cast in the very stronghold of apathy the home of a lukewarm spirit which not containing anything positive to keep it close to the right let its sullen negativeness gravitate towards the wrong it will be difficult to make coming generations understand not the flaming antagonism to humanity but the more brutal avoidance of it 
that ruled the political tone in this latitude from eighteen thirty six to eighteen sixty one i have thought of the word bitterness as expressing it though that might convey somewhat of its recoil when disturbed it pictures nothing of its inhuman solicitude against all disturbance conservatism it was called and certainly it did conserve the devil admirably at the south one race of men were so basely wielding a greater physical power over another race of men as to crush from them the attributes of self-responsible creatures philadelphia the city of the north nearest the wrong made no plea for humanity's claims it went on this monstrous abrogation of everything that lends sanctity to man's relations on earth till slaves were beasts with instincts annihilated and masters demons with instincts reversed philadelphia made no plea for the violated rhythm of life on either side even the church betrayed its mission and practically aided in stamping out for millions the spirit that related them to the divine still philadelphia made no plea for god's love in his humanity utterly insensible to the most piercing appeals that man can make to man she loved her hardness clung to it and if now and then a voice from the north blew down warningly as a trumpet the great city turned sluggishly in her bed of spiritual and political torpor and cried let be let be a little more slumber a little more folding of the hands to my moral death sleep this souring of faith this half paralysis of the heart's beating this blurring of the intuitions that make manhood possible were what my father found here in that year of our lord's grace eighteen thirty six it will be worth while to watch him move into the fight and bear his part in its thickest just to learn how largely history lays her humanitarian advances on a few willing souls the means which lay readiest to his use for rousing the dormant spirit of the city was his social position and yet how hard one would think must have been to make the sacrifice he came accredited by all the claims of finished culture a man consecrated to the scholar's life then with the sensitiveness that springs from intellectual breeding one will look to see him shrink from conflict with the callous condition of feeling around him the glamour of book-lore will spread over it and hide it from his sight he has a noble enough mission at all events to raise the standard of educational culture in a city that hardly knows the meaning of the term and if any glimpse should come to him of the lethargic inhumanity around him he can afford to let it pass as a glimpse his look being fixed on the sacred heights which the scholar's feet must tread footnote all that i write here of my father i write equally of his co-laborer in the same sphere of work rev w h furness and if it is true of others whom i did not know then to their memory also i bear this record of the two whose labors and characters has been the deepest privilege of my life to know so well End footnote. ah how his course so different proves to us that the true scholar is always a scholar of truth no matter what element of the public sentiment he met the listlessness of pampered wealth the brutal prejudice of some voting savage the refined sneer of lettered dilettantism the purposed aversion of trade or pulpit fearing disturbed markets or pews he beat lustily and incessantly at all the parts of the iron image of wrong sitting 
stolidly here with close-shut eyes no matter when it was on holiday or working day or sabbath at home and abroad in the parlor the street the counting-room in his school and in the church he bore down on this apathy and its brood of scorns like a west wind that sweeps through a city dying under weight of miasma and the wind might as well cease blowing yet not cease to be wind as my father's influence stop and himself live it scattered the good seed everywhere how often have i heard him say i know nothing of what the harvest will be i am responsible only for the sowing and bravely went the sowing on with the broadcast largesse of love there was no breeze of talk that did not carry the seeds to the wayside for from those that even chance upon the truth the fowls of the air cannot take it all to thin soil and among thorns for no heart so feeble or choked that will not find in a single day's growth of truth germination for eternity to stony places for no cranny in the rocks that can hold a seed but can be a home for riving roots and other fell on good ground and did bring forth fruit thus it was primarily to rouse those of his own class that he labored to gall them into seeing though they should turn again and rend him that moral supineness is moral decay that the soul shrivels into nothingness when wrong is acquiesced in as surely as it is torn and scattered by the furies that loose within it when wrong is done but just there lay the difficulty and pain of his mission that from his acknowledged standing in the literary world and as a leader in the interests of higher education his path brought him into contact mainly with the cultured and it was among these that the pro-slavery spirit ruled with its bitterest stringency not cultured let us unsay the word rather with the gloss and hard polish which reading and wealth and the finer appointments of living can throw over spiritual arrest or decay culture is a holy word and dare be used of intellectual advance only when the moral sympathies have kept equal step it includes something beyond an amateur sentiment in favor of what we favor if it does not open the ear to every cry of humanity struggling up or slipping back it is no culture properly so called but a sham a mask of wax a varnish with cruel glitter and what a double wrath will be poured on him who cracks the wax and the varnish not only because of the rude awakening but because the crack shows the sham end of section twenty seven recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida